This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear REM on the stereo. And by now, you should already know that when you're in the Chicago area, you can enjoy that authentic arcade experience at the Underground Retrocade. So I'm just going to keep the sponsor bumper short this time and just say this one goes out to the one I love, Sinistar. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter, a weekly arcade game podcast with me, your co-host, Mike McGinnis. I already said that, didn't <laughs> yes. I? This is not going well because I, I just did I just did open Apple and like I'm, the, the, the intros are blending together. I've done so many of those, like, like 40 of those. We've done 100 plus of these and it's all just running together. So you person that I'm talking to at the other end of the microphone That's will me. say something. Hello. Also, you can't really know that people are listening. We can know that they've downloaded, but maybe we have a ton of subscribers who don't actually listen. I bet that's true. I yeah, bet it's I not. Bet With dulcet just, tones like mine, please. <laughs> dulcet, I tell you. Figments of, of, of imagination that, that I have running around. Exactly. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. What's your name? <laughs> My name is Carrington, and I'm awesome. <laughs> You're always awesome, Carrington. Yes, even though I thumped my head today hard. Well, I think I'm, I'm all stitches. scatterbrained, like I thumped my head as well, so I think we'll do well. I may have actually <laughs> literally scattered my brain. I've got a major <laughs> cut on my head. And I shaved my head, so I've got no cushion. It just goes right for skull. <laughs> so i got to start wearing a helmet, I think. I've been told that before. Those little bike helmet things? Yeah, why not? I was going to wear my motorcycle helmet, but a little little mini bike helmet could work too. Tassels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so shall we talk about feedback and news and stuff like that? Sure, I think that's why we do this show, right? We oh, do we? No, we do it to play games, man. Oh, it's all about the there's games. that too, but, but we have things to get get out of the way first. We got links sent to us. Um, uh, let's see, both Ken, your former co-host, and Egan, neither of our co-hosts, but who often sends in links, sent us a link to the 20 coolest arcades in the world. It was something on Mashable, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes, even though I disagree with it tremendously <laughs> so because it's 20 arcades and supposedly the 20 coolest arcades and there's some on there that are great or at least that look great i mean there's there's some of the big ones like the pinball hall of fame i would agree with that that's going to probably be on there and there's one of the really big barcades and there's um that um soviet museum and there's a great photo of it like a better photo than in what we linked to before so for that alone it's worth looking at this thing there's this amazing like shot of the whole place looks great makes me want to go there all the more but then there's stuff like like a few remember a while ago we talked about that guy in fact i think we brought him up on a few episodes who had turned his bedroom into an arcade he bought like three or four um arcade machines he ended up like losing his his girlfriend his fiance over is chris chris cooler cooleris i think it was name was Yes, yeah. that, that led to a bunch of interesting discussions on the air and off. Exactly. And I and that, about that whole gatekeeping thing mm-hmm. and all of that. And I totally took Chris aside. Uh, my stance is Chris is awesome. But I wouldn't say that Chris's bedroom with four or five machines is one of the t- 20 coolest arcades in the world. 
No. Like, come on. Like, it's just so stuff like that. Like, no offense, Chris. I thought Chris and his arcade collection were awesome. But I wouldn't say top 20 in the world. Otherwise, really? Like, there's no larger ones in the world. And so a few of them were were that level. And I thought that was kind of silly. So, or maybe I'm wrong about the kind of arcades that still exist. But I, I think there can be bigger, better, more interesting ones worldwide. So I disagreed with it. But we're going to put the link in the show notes anyway. I have found just from watching the the, the the various arcade documentaries that are out now, like the uh, um, was it the was the one that we we promoted so much last year, and I can't remember the Space Invaders documentary, In Search of Lost Time, or something like that. But that that was all about people who have you know basement and garage arcades, mm-hmm. and and man, some of those setups are, are really really gorgeous and elaborate, and and I would pay lots of money just to go in and and then pay more money to play their games. So. Uh, I know that I know that the garage slash basement arcade thing is a, a thing now. So. To me, though, I think part of it is I think I differentiate. I think an arcade is something open to the public to come and play in. And even if your personal collection has 10 or 20 machines, it's your own arcade. But I wouldn't really call it an arcade. I don't know. In my mind, it seems if I'm going to make a list of the 20 coolest arcades in the world, all of them would be places that somebody could tour and pay and go to. That's because you're a snob. I am a bit of a snob, it seems. <laughs> well, there you go. Learned something new about myself. No, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, there's, I, I think that most of these, you know, the private collector um, – Spaces, I guess if you want to call it that, are if you email them and say, hey, I'd like to come see your stuff, they're more than happy to let you come down and play, but it's not something you Ooh, let's go. where you could just drive up to somebody's door and knock and Chris, say, hey, we're come coming here over. to play your games. <laughs> Chris, we are <laughs> um, coming down. <laughs> I'm going to play some games. Can you uh, warm up some pizza or something? So, yeah, I, I do understand the differentiation. Wait, there. there's going to be pizza? <laughs> well, see, I told you. <laughs> no, Makes in. a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> it kind of does. Um, okay, so Egan sent us that last link, and Egan sent us this next link. Egan's also great at sending us links. So um, this one is about Frisco, not San Francisco, but just Frisco, which I think is part of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so down there in Texas. They are going to create the National Video Game Museum. Now, well, I guess now technically the National Video Game Museum exists like as a thing, as a collection, but most of the collection, which has been around for years, is housed in like various storages around America and it kind of floats between being exhibited at various expos and cons and things but mm-hmm. there's now going to be an official real you know 10,000 plus square foot physical place to house that collection so that's kind of cool so you can read about it at the official site which is video game history no, it's the video game history museum and it's at vghmuseum.org anyway we'll put a link in the show notes and also there's a link over on uh, that egan sent us to a polygon article and a write-up about how they got funding and how it's going to open and so that's kind of cool in particular they they're going to stage workshops to teach people um arcade development and how to like make your own version of pong so you'll go and take this class and you will come away with your own pong that's kind of neat um but the museum itself and the collection skews heavily towards home-based arcades so it's more you know uh console gaming that sort of video games versus what i think of as stand-up arcade machines although it has a bunch of those as well still anyway it's it's really cool and i'm really happy that it's going to have an official location nice yeah, I thought so too. Uh, I think we got more. What else did we get? 
Kelly. Kelly wrote in to tell us, loved the Domino Man episode. Congratulations on reaching the two-year mark. You can celebrate by looking at this Pac-Man quilt. Look at it. <laughs> Look at it. Gaze deeply into the maze. Ignore the fact that the maze is the wrong shape. Ignore the fact that there are two Pac-Men in it. Ah, now you can no longer unsee the second Pac-Man, can you? That is the power of my email. When I snap my keyboard, you will become a chicken. <laughs> So that's the kind of email we get, folks. So thank you, Kelly. And she sent us a link to uh, a a photo of a Pac-Man quilt. And she's right. I can no longer unsee the second Pac-Man in it. So I will have that link in the show notes so you can all join me in being chickens. And being unable to unsee it. Yeah, I was, I, and, and speaking of that one, I, we got a lot of letters. I, tons and tons of people wrote in to sort of congratulate us on the two-year mark, which was really nice. Most of them sort of making fun of us for missing the one episode. <laughs> so mm. you're all a bunch of meanies. That is our listeners. Uh, Zeph wrote in to say, you often lament the fact that Toronto does not have any arcades. Well, I cannot do anything about that. I can give you a glimpse into the past. He wrote that in all caps. Glimpse into the past where there were arcades for you to visit. Here is a collection of photos from Toronto arcades of the 1970s and 80s that I recently found on Reddit. And he sent uh, one, two, three, four, five, like six or seven links to things on Flickr and like a local news site and a BBS site and a whole bunch of things that have collections and sort of like old articles about arcades or there used to be a big one called Funland in downtown Toronto and about the closing of that back in 2008. So that's got photos of that. And then he also included two links to YouTube videos that show arcades, including some walkthroughs of interior shots. So that's kind of neat. So I will throw all those links up into the show notes and it was super fun to get. So thank you, Zeph, for sending those links. Uh, Do I have any more? Oh, okay, one more. Robin. Robin wrote in to say, a new maze has been added to Ms. Pac-Man. It's called the Pink Hope Maze. And it's an official new maze for the game. It won't retroactively appear in Ms. Pac-Man arcade cabinets, but it will become part of the current Ms. Pac-Man game distributions from Bandai Namco on both iOS and Android. I think for now it's just a handheld thing, but who knows? Actually, I think it's a 99 cents DLC at the moment because the proceeds from the sale will go to the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So, any arcade fans who like to play the game about the female version of Mr. Pac-Woman can enjoy (laughs) a new maze and help Fight cancer. Pretty cool, huh? And I agree, Robin. That is pretty cool. So we will have a link to that in the show notes so you can see the maze. And it's a maze that has a word spelled out in in the shape of the top of the maze. So that's kind of neat. And I won't tell you what the word is because that might motivate you to go and look at it. And maybe if you look at it, you will download it and help fight cancer. So I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Herb Schaltiger. Oh, you've got one too. What do you got? I have a couple of them actually. Herb Schaltiger wrote in uh, on Facebook actually to say, he says, uh, so I'm slowly making my way up from your first episode to the present day. Oh, geez, I'm sorry, Herb. Uh, <laughs> Long way listen- to go. Yeah, just- and those early ones are kind of rough. Just listen to number 25 today, and I'm loving it. However, as I scroll through the list of episodes, I am shocked, shocked, I say, <laughs> to see that you've never done episodes on the classic Atari vector games like Lunar Lander, Red Baron, Asteroids, and Asteroids Deluxe. You haven't even done Asteroids. But I you want waste- to do all of those. But you waste precious moments of your mortal lives talking about the <laughs> Nintendo Play Choice 10? I am disappointed. I demand a refund. I will write a strongly worded letter to the editor, or maybe I'll just post a nag on your Facebook wall instead, uh, in hopes of getting you to do an Asteroids review. Either way, keep up the good work and do an Asteroids episode, why don't you? Why don't uh, we? Well, 
Well, I, I don't know that he's made his way to, well, last year we had Vector, whatever. No, no Vector, I think. No Vector, it. yes. It was a month of uh, Vector games. I like that. We um, should do that again. November is coming up. Well, done. Woohoo! That was easy. Yep. Uh, Scott you should Nerf. send me money. <laughs> that, Be a chicken. Be a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um. Maybe not. Uh, Scott Meredith wrote in to let us know about a, a Kickstarter. I know you hate that word, but there is a, a Kickstarter for da, 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 where'd that webpage go? Well, Kickstarter with music. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the Full Blast Arcade is what it's called. Uh, What's combining that? combining the classic arcade and modern gaming worlds with the social media age to create a global arcade experience. Uh, fun uh, Full Blast is a family fun center with a classic arcade theme. All your favorite video and pinball games from the 80s to present will be available to play along with the classic and modern consoles, crane machines, ticket machines, air hockey, skee-ball, and a pool table. The games, along with a concession area, free Wi-Fi, and multiple LCD TVs will provide a good, clean entertainment and fun for all ages. Now, they are uh, looking for $30,000. Uh, they currently have three backers for a total of $400, and they have until the end of the month. So I Uh-oh. don't know that they're going to make that. But See, that seems like a weird thing to me. Like, what would you get as a backer then? Do you get, like, unlimited entrance forever or something? Well, they've got, um, they got a bunch of different le- levels here. And that's the thing about Kickstarter. Well, one of the many things about Kickstarter is that um, I, I tend to, um, and I don't know why, but I tend to kind of want to, I find it easier to donate to, uh, projects that have a few clearly defined levels uh, rather than a bunch. Oh, instead of like 20? Well, yeah, and that's this one's got like $300, 250 175 150 150 150 100 100 uh, 100 and they're all different things, and, and I guess that's great if, you, if you're if you trying to give this stuff away and get people interested, but I think it can also be a little bit wearying. So if you pledge $300 or more, uh, which I think is the... Uh, the top level that gets you the full blast pass, 150 entrances. Uh, this reward is the same as the single admission pass, but is good for 150 admissions. They can be used individually on separate days or together on the same day for multiple people. Oh, that's not bad because that's just two bucks a day. Right. And it includes uh, reward number one, which if you scroll back up here is scroll, 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 scroll. See what I'm talking about? Okay. The, I think what it, number one is, is the uh, uh, support poster. Get your name on a full size support poster, a supporter poster designed by Walter Day. Oh, that's nice. Uh, these posters will permanently line the walls of the arcade for all to see. Multiples of this poster will be used to accommodate all supporters' names. That's cool. Ah, but I don't know. That doesn't seem like a Kickstarter. I mean, I want it to exist. I want there to be more arcades, so I actually really do wish some success. But if you're not local, it seems like a like. I guess it's nice to help them with the poster, but 150 entrances are not going to help me if I don't live near there. Um, I think that uh, yeah, like you said, this is a great thing to have in the community and want to put out. Um, but I don't know that Kickstarter is the way. Uh, the way to go, and it seems like everybody else is agreeing with you because, like I said, they've got $400 of the 30000 that they're asking yeah. for. I hope they do make um, it, though, because I want there yeah. to be another arcade. So as much as I'm negative, I, I want it to work. <laughs> I'm a complicated man, Mike. I'm very nuanced. <laughs> no, you're, you're very, very simple. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they've got a couple of uh, arcade celebrity endorsement videos up here from Richie Knuckles. and um, So, I mean, it looks neat, but I don't think it's going to make it. Good luck, though, guys. I thought you had a second one. Well, the other one was uh, Herb's letter about doing ve- vector games. I want more. Give me more feedback. R- write us a letter right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll be waiting. We're just going to wait here and not do any more of the show until we get more letters. Um, so shall we talk about Lost Tomb? 
Yes, let's talk about Lost Tomb. Because that's the game we played. I hope so, because that's what I played. So it's uh, from 1982, and I think it's by... In fact, I know it's by Stern, or at least that's what the cabinet says. So I'm probably not trying to fool me. Yeah, I think this is one of the games that's not that wasn't you know, developed in Japan and licensed out to American companies uh, to distribute in North America. This actually was uh, designed and programmed at Stern Electronics. It was designed by Dan Lee, uh, and Dan has... A bit of a pedigree in in uh, game design, uh, arcade history, history dot com has a list of games that he was involved in. Looks like uh, almost all of them were pinball games, except for another one called Super High Impact that he developed for Midway in nineteen ninety one. Everything else uh, was pinball, except for one bowling game called Strike Master. But uh, he was involved in the industry. It looks like all the way up until about nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety two was no nineteen ninety four was his last game. So. This is a game that I had never played in back in the day, never heard of it at all. And it was the last time I was at our sponsor's place at the Underground Retrocade. It was on, I think he either just got this as a cab or was on a 50-in-1 or something like that. Anyway, it was there, ready to play it. I was like, what is this game? <laughs> and just, it immediately hooked me in the same way that I think it was Juno First was the game that I sort of got introduced the first time I went there. And I was like, oh, that's the game. So you sort of, I love when you can go to arcade and come away with a, with a new game that's fun and different. And that was totally this game. I, I, I think... Other people I was talking with while I was there weren't as keen on it. But, I mean, I just immediately, for some reason, was drawn to this game and really dug it. And so I was really excited for us to come back to it and play it this week. Well, the, the parallel that I see all over the place is to uh, to the 1982 Williams game, Robotron. Um, and I can definitely see that because it's a top-down maze game where you sort of... Um, you wind your way through this maze and, and each room in the maze is a screen and it has sort of little smaller areas that you need to get through and you have um, things coming at you that you need to kill while you're collecting treasure. Um, and in this case, because it's 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 called Lost Tomb and it's, it's sort of themed as a, a South American pyramid, you have things like uh, uh, spiders and it, it feels it has a very um, Indiana Jones feel to it. Although I think this came out before the movie, is that right? No, no, I think it was after. That's right. Yeah, Raiders, Raiders came out like eighty eighty one. So yeah, definitely influenced by Indiana Jones. Uh, you're you you are equipped with a limited number of whips, and you collect uh, treasure. And the the way you stay alive is by collecting treasure and shoot, shoot, shoot everything with your super machine gun. Yep. Indiana Jones didn't really have as much <laughs> machine gun action going on as this one. <laughs> no. So for me, uh, definitely felt the Robotron thing because it's one of those sticky, dually, shooty thingies, whatever the word is for those. And like, dual stick shooter. <laughs> that can't be a real thing. No. <laughs> but it has... I like I like yours better, but I think. <laughs> people might understand better <laughs> mine's super catchy so it's got those robotron controls but for me it really kind of felt like a more frantic version of berserk because it's top down but your guy is you're looking at him from the side even though it's top down on the maze so it's got that berserk sort of feel to it i found but just it's sort of like berserk mixed with a little bit of gauntlet kind of all starring indiana jones um, with a with also a touch of the spiders level from Tron mixed in, <laughs> so all of that stirred together inside a big pyramid is, and you get um, Lost Tomb, and I really dig it. I dig it yeah. a lot. I, I I became an instant fan of this game too. This is, Isn't it cool? Um, it's totally, yeah, it's totally, really it's hard, it. hard yeah. as heck. It's frantic, but it's fun and different, and like you know, just like I I liked that when I was playing it. You you sort of you begin to learn the game and you unlock different things. When I was playing it at the actual arcade, I remember getting stuck on 
it was something like the third, really early, like the second or third room I I got into. There was simply no way out of the room. I kept like, like why, why won't it let me out of the room? And it's because sometimes the door to leave a room isn't open to start with. You have to pick up a particular chest because it has a key in it. Now, it doesn't hide it. The, the key will be glowing and, in fact, flashing inside that chest. <laughs> so you think that wouldn't have been something I would miss. Oh, but miss it, I did. So there's little things like that you, you eventually learn. And also your whip, not only... It sort of spirals around you and it doesn't just take out enemies it can take out walls and sometimes it's necessary there'll be a place you got to get to and you can't get there but you can use your whip to make a new hole you can like it's a destructible maze and that's super fun so there's lots of elements in it that that are frantic and fun and different and i really like it yeah i like the uh the the pathing i guess mechanism if you want to call it that and um arcadehistory.com describes it uh this way it's uh, players presented with options throughout the game depending on which room they want to enter uh once a path is chosen you must pick up treasures kill the monsters in the way find the key and exit the room as fast as possible in order to avoid setting off an earthquake um Upon exiting a level, the player is presented with a hallway which shows a number of doorways allowing access to any one of several other rooms. This allows the player to pick their own route through the game, but the decision uh, upon which uh, the decision which room to tackle next must be taken very quickly uh, as the player must reach this room in a hurry or risk being attacked by a flock of screeching birds. Are they birds? I figured they were like vampire bats. Um, probably bats. I'm not Bat sure. They, birds. They, they, just, yeah, they describe it as birds here on, on this page. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of fun little elements that all kind of come together to make this a really great game. Um, well, the, the, your enemies that you're fighting against are mostly like there's big spiders and big scorpions, but also like baby scorpions that will become <laughs> big scorpions. So there's little little ones that will eventually get larger. I dug that. You're right about the earthquakes. So there's like like there, there's a timer going on. So in addition to the fact that you're shooting, and also as you shoot, you run down on bullets and you have to reload. So you got to make sure you sort of time that and give yourself a pause to reload. So you have to keep your eye on that meter too um but there's a timer that counts down and when it reaches zero everything starts shaking there's this booming and i didn't even realize it was, a, it was an earthquake until i read the manual for the thing i'm like oh that's what's going on um and there's also like traps you can step on certain things and it will set off an earthquake weirdly the way to stop the earthquake is you have to open up a chest and that sort of diffuses the earthquake which i kept thinking well it must be a bomb you can't diffuse an earthquake but okay whatever um and when you do open a chest you can get stuff out of it you sometimes you'll get bullets sometimes you'll get extra whips sometimes you just get points sometimes it diffuses the earthquake if that's going um so you're making your way through the maze you have to try to pick up chests but you don't have to pick up chests the only thing you really have to do is get the key if there is one and then get to the door everything else is about just trying to stay alive and, and trying to do a balance of shooting enough enemies and picking up enough chests that you're keeping yourself supplied with bullets and whips but at the same time not risking too much or staying on a level too long where you might die so it's frantic but at the same time you're trying to trying to pay yourself and pick up things which which makes it super fun yeah uh crazy difficult very hard game lots of stuff coming at you all at once on uh, uh as you make your way through the rooms but um again one of these games that it never felt like uh it was so difficult that i would never get better at it or that i had no chance uh, at all of playing so um, i didn't feel you know immediately frustrated uh that that i was ha- that i was getting killed immediately which happened quite a bit Oh, yeah, absolutely. It would be one of those games where if you're playing with real quarters, if you're having to pay to play, it would be very expensive. Like you just you die quickly, you die fast, you can continue. So it's designed to be a quarter muncher. So when you die, it's like 
give me more quarters and that'd be fun. Also, you can buy whips. There's this fake message from the sponsor <laughs> that will come up, which is now a word from our sponsor. Yeah, that's exactly. Crazy. And it's like, why don't you buy so? And you can buy like 99 whips for 25 cents. And it's basically <laughs> it's like DLC built into the game, just like feed in another quarter. And it's really now when I was playing, I let myself buy the whips. <laughs> like I was like, yep, but I didn't let myself continue. But I figure whip purchasing was fair game for the high yeah, score me too. this week. Yeah, okay, absolutely. good. So I like that. So there's um, 91 rooms in total, but you're just making your way down a pyramid. So there's 13 levels and 91 rooms, but you would never see all rooms because each time you're picking between two different ones. And they're all numbered, which made it interesting because a lot of times, like, my, I think my high score ended up being in room, like, eight or something. But I got to room numbers that were much higher than that. But it depends on sort of the path you're taking, what rooms you get into. And there's also two different sorts of rooms. There's the normal room, like the one Mike and I have been describing, which is kind of maze-like. But it's really just a bunch of chambers and they're full of spiders and scorpions and baby spiders and, and, and chests and a key. And then there's also the throne rooms, which are every fifth room is one of those and they're indicated on the map and the throne rooms i mostly just tried to avoid because it just looks like this big blue room full of traps and there'll be two keys and you have to pick them both up to get out and you inevitably you'll set off the traps and everything comes flying all over in the earthquake and bad guys and just basically just rooms of death so i just try to avoid the throne rooms yeah, I, I found the whole thing kind of comes together nicely with the there's a there's a kind of a tongue in cheek sense of humor about all this, you know, from the from the 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 way that you buy whips, the word a word from our sponsor to the if you do get out of the pyramid, you're greeted with a screen that says, Congratulations, you made it uh it says you have made it through this through this pyramid. Your reward for all this is uh our profound thanks for playing this game. Um and I the humor I think the humor even extends to there's and, and we'll talk about Carrington. We'll talk about the cabinet here in a few minutes. But there's a um, it came as a uh, also later on, on came as a conversion kit and there's a poster for the conversion or a flyer for the conversion kit, uh, which is pretty much them kind of making fun of themselves. The 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 flyer for the conversion kit starts out with how to become a conversion surgeon. We recognize problems in our industry and Stern is out to help the uh, operator by over. Uh, by offering a low-price conversion kit called Lost Tomb, specifically designed to convert uh, such stern greats and not-so-greats as the End, Scramble, Super Cobra, Moon War, Turtles, Armored Car, Jungler, Strategex, Amadar, and um, a few other games. And it tells you kind of what comes in it, but I, I, I like the fact that they, you know, they're, they're willing to poke fun at some of their not-so-great games. Um, and that sort of, I guess little polish to the game really kind of makes a difference for me between this and maybe some of the other titles out there that I could play. If I were in an arcade, I would play this first. I get, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's got, it's got charm to it, but it's, it's got a lot of character because of the humor and the frankness. It's got a, a kind of weird color scheme. That's, that's very <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Gold sort of room. So, but it, it's fun. Like it's frantic. It's fun. And I, and I completely agree. Like I like the little bits of humor that are in it. The word from our sponsor thing. And just like, it, it feels like they had a fun time making it and it, so it makes it kind of fun to play. Like it just right right away it gripped me. So I I really dig it. The funny thing to mention about the, that conversion kit, I was reading through the manual for that as well. Um, and first of all, I hadn't heard of like I've heard of things like Super Cobra and Scramble, of course, and Amadar, which we reviewed, but I'd never heard of Moon War or <laughs> or the end. And that Strategy X game, it even notes in the 
in the conversion kit manual that that is a game that has a horizontal monitor. So if you buy the kit, you're also going to have to completely <laughs> rotate and remount your monitor. Like, well, that doesn't sound convenient. And the conversion kit shipped with two ROMs. The board, which came in one of those FCC cages, because at this point they were now requiring those. So it came with the FCC uh, radiation cage. And the board was pre-populated with the ROM, but it also shipped with a with a hard ROM. So there's two different versions of this game. And it's funny that... I don't know why it would have to be a separate ROM because you think it would just be dip switches. And there are dip switches that will set like at what point, how many men you start off with, at what point do you get an extra dude. Um, but it, it's weird that there'd be a full other different ROM called the hard ROM. So I, and I'm not sure what the difference there is. Yeah, I, I, didn't, find any, I didn't find any information on that that would uh, indicate why they did that. Um, if your score is higher than mine, that I'm going to, I'm going no. record now to say I was clearly playing the you hard. You were playing the hard, and I was playing the easy. Yes, of course. clearly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Even if my score is higher, I'm still going to say <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> you were playing the baby uh-huh. wrong, total baby wrong. It only had the little mini mini scorpions, <laughs> <laughs> little tiny, teeny tiny scorpions. You threw. Um, so I no not quite. I found I liked. I really like the idea of like the like each time it's like, well, what room do you want to go in next? And that kind of keeps it fresh. And it's not like I could memorize it, so it really kind of didn't matter which room I picked. But I found that that sort of hallway thing you're in when you choose, well, which room do you want to go in next? That's one of the most difficult things because you have very little time. And the the aiming to control your to control your little adventurer guy to go down the stairs around. I would try to move, and, and you, if you're not, like, right at the bottom, it wouldn't let you move down the stairs, and, and I would get destroyed and eaten by these birds or bats or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very disappointing because it, all I'm trying to do is choose the next level, and I thought <laughs> I died there as much as anywhere else. They were just trying to encourage you to move on. I was encouraged. I wanted to move <laughs> on. So I found that that was bugging me. The collision detection there for the stairs was bugging me. It needs to be wider because the graphic shows a big staircase, but you can actually only walk on a, a tiny bit of it. So I didn't like that part of the game. But I did like the frantic nature. I like the shooting. I like games like Berserk and Robotron. So this has that element. So if you like those types of games... This is like Robotron almost kind of in a maze. Um, and I really dug it. And I, and I like just looking for the chest and, and my whip destroying the bits of the room. Like it's fun to be in a maze. It's like playing Pac-Man but having the ability to blow apart the walls. So, yeah, like it's, it's a different sort of game and it really hooked me right away. Yeah, there's certainly a, a, a level of intensity there that can, that, uh, you know, if, you're, if you get into it can really get your adrenaline flowing and draw you in and, and, uh, you know, even if you die, which you will a whole bunch of times, if you're like me, uh, you'll, you'll still have a pretty good time playing it. Those of you who have been listening since way back when, and I apologize in advance for that, <laughs> um, will remember, may remember that for a while I had a stash of, of non-working arcade PCBs in my basement. I ended up, <clears throat> I ended up selling them, uh, for passage to Kansas Fest and a few other things, but, uh, the, this board set, uh, was, um, one of the, one that was in the collection, and I remember it specifically because it had that weird RFI cage around it. And in fact, it talks about it in the conversion kit menu that you know, or in the conversion kit uh, manual that this is not something. Don't remove this. This is part of the RF. Uh, part of the um, the FCC requires this uh, now. With I think it was what forty seven CFR fifteen or something like that uh, that had just gone into effect. And I, but at the time, I had no idea what that was. And and um, now I know. So now and, you know. Now I know the rest of the story. Oops, they're gonna they're gonna sue us. So, do you know what happens if you make it? Do you make it to the end? If you make it all the way through the pyramid, do you know what happens? 
uh, well, you get that cool screen that thanks you for playing. Well, you also get, weirdly, like, so it says, thank you for playing. You figure, like, this is awesome. And then it awards you 100,000 points, which is nice, and it awards you 50 whips and a bunch of extra lives. And you would think, why? Why is it giving me more whips and more lives? Because it picks you up, takes you all the way back to the beginning of the pyramid, and you start over. You've got 50 whips and a bunch of extra lives, and you keep going. So it's, mm-hmm. it just says, keep feeding those quarters in, keep them coming. <laughs> now, did you ever play this game like back when it was a thing? I never knew about this game until you told me about it, at seeing it at, uh, at the arcade. Yeah, me too. This, this I don't know if it didn't get because it's stern. It's not like it was from a small company, but I never saw this in the arcades. Yeah, neither did I, and and I don't know why. Um, it seems like this would have made operators a lot of money for a while. Yeah, and it, and it was ported to a few home things, uh, including the Apple II, and I never saw it in the Apple II. So I'm like, my goodness, yeah, I, I missed this that. game completely. Yeah, and it was on the Atari 8-bits as well, Commodore 64, and, and a PC booter version as well, all of which were direct ports from the arcade. Well, not direct ports, but like the exact same game, all called Lost Tomb, and I missed all of them. Like, So this game just flew completely under the radar for me. Uh, <clears throat> Lost Tomb features a, a Z80 at 3.072 megahertz for the main CPU. The sound CPU is also a Z80 clocked at 1.78 megahertz. It has two AY8910 chips uh, at the same 1.78 megahertz. Uh, 224 by 256 um, pixel screen, um, 99 color palette. That's sort of an interesting number. Um, and the two, again, we mentioned the, the two eight-way joysticks, uh, one to move and one to shoot and use your whip. Mm-hmm. Funny, yeah, other than the palette there that, I feel like you read off that exact list many times. It's amazing how many games use that exact setup. Yeah, it's it's pretty common, and, and that makes sense. You know, once kind of it may not be at a may never have been an official industry standard, of course. But it, it sounds like you know if if that's kind of commonly what's out there and easy to get cheap parts because they're being made in volume. That's probably what they went with. Yeah. So the uh, the cabinet itself is kind of cool looking. I mean, it's a stern cabinet, and they weren't great at making particularly interesting cabinets usually so it's starting with the basic stern shape with the black cabinet with the big dark red stern lettering on the sides so that's really a side art stern wasn't big on giving you other side art other than just their brand um like you said control panel two eight-way joysticks so it's really robotron 2048 or 2084 sort of style and that one whip button um and the player one and player two start buttons uh but it's got a great marquee like it's a really nice looking logo um just like it's got this jungle adventure style to it. I just I love the look. I love the coloring. Really, really great marquee graphics and a nice looking graphics as well on the control panel. So from the front, well, there's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of graphical flourishes, but what's there is quite good. So it's a it's a pretty decent looking looking cab. So I like it. Um, and the only other thing to mention about it is that we haven't talked about internally is in the dip switches. In last week's game, I remember saying, hey, hey, for this game, there's a dip switch to switch between Caucasian and African-American characters. Nothing quite that interesting going on here. But now that I'm aware that kind of stuff happens, I'm always looking at the dip switches. This one has a Superman setting. So you can turn on the Superman setting, which makes your character invincible. Now, I don't know why they built in a dip switch that makes it invincible. So there's the usual setting for free play if you want people to play forever. But there is basically a god mode in the dip switches. So that's kind of neat. Well... Yeah, I guess. I mean, it sort of takes the challenge out of the game. Oh, I would think probably. so, too. But maybe it's for... I wondered if that was built in so that they could do, like, level testing. But you think yeah. it would just be something... You wouldn't have, like, that built in your, your shipping version. But it is. Maybe. Hmm. Um, 
So I, I don't know if we mentioned this, so I'll say it again. Uh, so when you when you go into a room, the timeline starts. They, they call it the timeline. I mean, this is from the manual. Uh, and it'll count down, and, and you reset this timeline by picking up a chest. And if it gets to zero, that starts an earthquake. Um, and then the walls begin to shake and to stop the earthquake. And the shooting walls, apparently the walls also shoot at you. Yes, uh, you, you can pick up uh, you pick up another chest. So the um, the the room inc- the, the chests in, in the rooms increase in value, beginning at a thousand points per chest, all the way up to eight thousand points. And you get a bonus man every fifteen thousand. I didn't realize that the chests were going up in value that way. It's something I hadn't noticed. There's so much going on that I was rarely aware of my score until I died. Then I would find out what my score was because there's a lot to look at on the screen in addition to trying to keep your eye on the clock and the shot meter. Um, but the, the maze itself and the enemies are so frantic. It's like when you play Robotron. Like you're really just so focused. It's hard to really care what your score is until you die. It's interesting, though, that for, for all the stuff that was going on on, on the screen in, in Lost Tomb, I'm thinking back to Bank Panic, where I, I complained loudly and at length about uh, screen clutter and how it actually made the, the game more difficult to play. This was sort of the opposite, because I think everything in the game, uh, uh, Lost Tomb, was part of the experience of playing. You didn't have those weird little, like the, the steel rails, um, the steel grating over over the, the um, bank tellers that you had in Bank Panic, which were there for no reason other than to look pretty. Whereas this is, was all about uh, integrating you uh, into the gameplay and, and um, improving your experience. Maybe that's what that hard ROM does. It overlays a bank teller thing in front of you. I thought you played the hard ROM. Are you saying you played the easy ROM character? Well, I played the extra extra hard ROM. Oh, there's the, a the secret really, extra hard ROM that really, really only Carrington knows about, huh? Super, super ROMy. I'm it was so very that. ROMy. Mm-mm, not buying that for a second. Uh, what talk scores? All right, Carrington, how'd you do? I did great. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like I did pretty good because my scores kept getting better and better, and I made it a decent way in. When I played at the arcade the first time I played this game, I don't think I ever made it through two rooms. Like, I did terribly at the <laughs> arcade. So I've definitely improved since then. So, And I think my high score came around room seven or eight or something. But again, I would frequently reach rooms that were higher numerically, but it depends on the path you take. So my high score, according to my screenshots, the highest I ever got was 52,840. Yes. So 5, 2, 8, no, no. I meant five two eight four zero and then some more zeros. Darn it! I don't like your yes. So how did you do? Well, I was going to give myself a ten thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever point bonus is necessary to beat you, uh, just because you had the experience of, of playing at the arcade. But it turns but out to be unnecessary. That disappoints me. Um, and it's even sweeter because it's not by much that I beat you. Uh, Fifty-seven thousand nine hundred and eighty points. I say boo. Woohoo! Yay, me. It's been a while since I've beaten you, and it feels pretty darn good. You beat me last week. No, I didn't. <laughs> you did. I don't think so. Yeah. What game did we play last week? We played, uh, you know, that game uh, that that's you beat me in. Yeah. <laughs> that one, you know, the, the, be- the beat me game. <laughs> Where you beat me. Was, what kind um, of game is that? <laughs> Different kind of podcast here, pal. <laughs> It was, you're making me laugh. It was uh, Domino Man. I got like 60,000 and something. You got 90,000 and something. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. That was a week. In fact, it wasn't even a week ago. We're recording early this week. It was like three days ago. Actually, I, I know that. I just wanted you to say it again because it felt Suck. pretty good. So. Suck so bad. <laughs> well, um, maybe you'll have better luck next week. I, I certainly hope not. But um, 
Should we should we give them a hint, Karen? Let's. Why not? Let's be different and play a sound. All right, everybody. I think that uh, wraps up another No Quarter Open Apple whatever podcast this happens to be on. And <laughs> That's our new name? No Quarter Open Apple whatever? <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, and thank you, whichever po- podcast co-host I happen to be talking to at the moment for podcasting me. with me again. And, uh, listeners of, of whatever, of whoever you are out there and whatever you thought you were tuning into here, uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.